And welcome back to the Duck Territory podcast with myself, Matt Prem, Eric Scopel across the way. Hey, guys. Um, we are doing this second episode in where we've got our regular recorder going live uh, right now to record our, our podcast, which you'll be listening to uh, hopefully on iTunes shortly or whatever other uh, podcast system distribution network you use. Um, but then we also are doing it on Facebook Live, and we've got... Uh, We'll have some people that'll come in, and, and it, you can listen to this podcast while we're recording it live. You can interact with us, drop some questions. So if you have football questions about fall camp, uh, recruiting, or if you want to talk basketball in middle of August, you can talk basketball. So far, no that. <laughs> um, you can talk basketball, but go ahead and drop them in on our Facebook Live. If if you're not familiar with our Facebook page, just go to uh, www.facebook.com forward slash Oregon 247, that'll take you there. You like your page, that'll get you notifications whenever we go live, which we're doing right now as we're recording this Monday afternoon. But let's get into it. Entering the fourth week of fall camp, which last Thursday we were expecting this to be a mock game week, but it's now kind of shifted back a little bit towards a hybrid of the two. Uh, Oregon's having Monday's uh, Monday is their off today. Sunday was supposed to be a scrimmage. Taggart decided Sunday afternoon that... Late change. Late change, no scrimmage. <laughs> uh, that has been pushed to this Thursday. Oregon will be practicing uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I think they have Friday and Saturday off before... Uh, or Saturday, I believe they have practice, which is also going to be fan day uh, for, for Oregon, for, for the fans for the 2017. No, and then no media availability. No media day. availability on that day. And then uh, Sunday they're off, and then they get into game week prep on Monday for Southern Utah. So we're less than two we're, weeks away now. We're almost there. Uh, college football starts this weekend. Uh, Oregon State, Stanford both play games out of the Pac-12. I think Utah plays too. I think so, yeah. Uh, this weekend as well. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're going to cover, you know, there's about a, three days left for guys to make big impressions on this coaching staff going into, you know, to go into the season and establish that depth chart. And I think it would be kind of a cool idea, Eric, for you and I. We'll, we'll put this up on DuckTerritory.com later. Um, but just kind of where we kind of project the depth chart, you know, too deep to, to be at. Yeah. Uh, going into the fourth, air quote, hybrid week of fall camp. And, you know, we're now about, you know, a week away from probably finding out really where uh, Oregon's depth chart will be at. They typically release it um the, the Monday or the Tuesday before yeah. their first game, so we're about a week away. It's perfect time for us to kind of give our final thoughts of where we we anticipate this. I'll go first at quarterback. I I've got the obvious, Justin Herbert. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> Going shocker. There. <laughs> and then uh, Taylor Alley. I think Taylor Alley is a guy who's yeah. a senior. He's established himself within this program. He's played a lot of positions. He you know is an athletic guy. And he's a better passer than, you know, I think he was two or three years ago. Yeah. I think he kind of assumes that, that backup role to open camp. And it's up to Burmeister, because I think they're both going to play, but it's going to be up to Burmeister to, to surpass him in, in game production to become the number two. I would have given a different answer four days ago, but, you know, based upon what Coach Taggart said and even a couple of receivers and, and tight ends over the last week, it, it does sound like Taylor Alley is kind of making a strong case to be that second guy. He's got the veteran leadership. Burmeister, obviously, still a true freshman. He's, you know, very raw, has a lot of things he needs to work on. So I, I would also go Taylor Alley as the backup, obviously Herbert as a starter. I do agree. I think they, they, they need Burmeister to play because you don't want a situation next year where, once again, your one of your primary backups is, is a true freshman that's never taken, the, you know, a collegiate snap. Right. At, at wide receiver, I think this is the one that could have oh, yeah, yeah. the most – Combinations, you know, if if we open this up to other media members within the pack within the Oregon beat, you know, we might get six, seven, eight different answers sure. of who starts, who's the the primary backups. Um, typically, we're going to assume that Oregon's going to you know start three receivers. They may have games where they start four, you know, but typically they may have games where they start two. Yeah, they may have games where they start two, but you know, I I think three is kind of the safe even. Situation for for this uh, depth chart. I've got the obvious one, Charles Nelson, in a, in our receiver. I, I think he's Mr. Reliable. He's kind of he's the senior veteran, the leader of this group. He's going to start. He's going to play all over the place. And then it's, it, it gets a little different. I got Dylan Mitchell, 
at at one spot, and then I'm I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna get five receivers from a two deep. <laughs> okay. I think it's so up in the air right now between Malik Lovett, Alex Ofadeli, and Brendan Schooler. I think one of those three guys are probably going to start on the outside, and I think it's going to be a, a, a rotation, you know, musical chairs, if you will, at that third spot at, at receiver, especially on the outside. I think, yeah, I, I think Nelson clearly won, you know, obviously he's the slot guy. I think Dylan Mitchell has done enough this spring and fall to, to cement one of those spots outside, and I agree. I think if I was to pick between the three, the three of them that you just mentioned, I'd probably pick Malik uh, Lovett love just because he's had the most – Experience of being healthy, and, and obviously, school hasn't played the position more than about two and a half weeks since high school. So, I'd probably go go that route. Although, like, you know, this previous week we, we we watched them practice, and it looked like Alex Ophedile was with the number one unit. Right. Obviously, that depth chart continues to move, but I, I'd probably go Malik Lovett, even though he's also a guy who hasn't really played any wide receiver at the collegiate level either. So, I mean, the, the, whoever's going to fill that spot is going to be a guy who basically has not played. Putting in putting in my name, you know, my last pick, I, it would be Love It for me as well. Um, I, I think he's kind of the even balance between, you know, he, he's he's been healthy all fall camp. Yeah. He's so that you know tops him over Ofadeli, and then I I think he's got the experience ahead of Schooler, which for right now probably keeps him ahead of Schooler as well. I, 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 I really believe, though, that Ofadeli and Schooler, they're going to start games in 2017 at, at receiver. When that is, is the big question and, and, and the biggest mystery. And, and if we're filling out the two deep there, if we're assuming Ofadeli and, and uh, Schooler are the other outside receivers, I think Darren McNeil right now, it feels to me like the guy who's probably their second slot guy. Jalen Red, obviously, in the discussion there. Taj Griffin's been kind of in and out health-wise. Right. So they're actually pretty deep at slot. I think if, if you... You know, they have a number of really explosive guys that they can use there. It's just a matter of which guys fit and kind of how that all works out, I think. I'm kind of – I would agree with you. I think Jalen Red is the guy in the slot. Uh, I mean, uh, Darian McNeil is the guy in the slot who, who will be in the second team. And I'm a little surprised that he's ahead of Jalen Red. Yeah. Because Jalen Red was a, a four-star recruit. I think he was top top 200 in, in the country. Um, I think top 150. Top, yeah, top one. He was, yeah. He was a very highly regarded guy uh, out of Southern Cal. And I'm saying he's not living up to expectations because he's going to play as a true freshman. Yeah. And But Darian McNeil was this guy when 2017, he was Willie Tiger's first verbal commitment when he switched from USF to Oregon. He was committed to Arizona at the time. And it was kind of one of those deals where it was just kind of like, yeah, this is a you know low level three star prospect. He's from Florida. You know it. It's likely just a situation where Taggart's trying to get a a solid kid, probably not a you know an elite recruit, but to help kind of build that Florida Florida or to Oregon momentum that they established. You know, on the outside, it didn't look like it was that big of a verbal commitment. But now that we're three weeks into fall camp, we've seen what McNeil can do yeah. in spring football. He's a legit player and a guy and a guy that's probably going to play a lot of football as a true freshman. I think vastly underrated too. I mean, he was uh, I think in the 1200s or something yeah. like that on the 24/7 composite. I spoke to his former, uh, formerly his offensive coordinator, now the head coach at Armwood High School, Evan uh, Davis, when I wrote a feature on him, and he said that he was the best pound for pound football player he coached, and that speaks high praise. Armwood obviously you know organized two four star commitments in Warren Thompson and Malcolm Lamar from that high school in 2018, and there's been a ton of guys coming through there the last. You know, decade or so. Right. So this is a guy that I think down there they knew he was a big time player. Maybe because of his size, there was some c- concerns about how good of a college player he could be. But I think Oregon's got a steal with him, and I think even if he doesn't make a huge impact at receiver as a return guy down the line, I think you've got a guy who can really, really help. Him. Absolutely, and he's a player who who could do special teams uh, primarily in 2017, yeah. and, and still have a huge impact uh, for the 2017 Oregon football team. Uh, looking at tight end. Uh, this is another position where I think it's pretty safe to say who is where. And I've actually got a walk-on ahead of a scholarship player at tight end uh, for the for the 2D. But I'm going to – obviously the, the obvious starter is Jacob Breland, the sophomore, uh, a guy who's really put on a lot of weight, a lot of strength. He has. And he looks like a completely different player than he was last year compared – to even his fre- his true freshman season as yeah. well, uh, it, total body transformation for him. 
Uh, and I think he's going to be one of the breakout stars in the Pac-12 for 2017. But a guy I've got behind him is Ryan Bay, uh, a walk-on sophomore tight end uh, out of Tigard High School. And this is another guy who, when he entered the program a couple years ago, was a string bean. You know, he's playing tight end, really? Like, he doesn't have the body type at all uh, to play that position. And he is now morphed into, you know, at least physically, a guy that, that is just as big as every other you know, tight end Oregon typically has on roster. He's six foot three. I think he's over 235 pounds. Very athletic. He's just raw and, you know, hasn't played a lot of football, but I think he's going to be the Oregon's second string tight end to start the year. Jacob Breland said he's the most powerful of the guy. That's what he brings to the table. He's a power guy. He can really block. So obviously, you know, the, the physicality is there. Uh, I'd probably go the same way with Bay just from everything we've heard, although McCormick seems to be making some noise. The last couple of times we've, we've asked Taggart about the tight end position, he's said, hey, McCormick, this kid's, this kid's making making a move at it. And obviously he's a kid that missed a lot of time because of injury, and now he's back and healthy. And I think they may need him, you know, if they're going to go too tight end, I think he's going to be probably a better threat down the field than just about okay. anyone that they have. Yeah. So. It, it, he, he's a guy that I, I do think they'll use two tight ends, you know, in sets, and I think they use all three of them pretty frequently this year. So is that a McCormick or Bay? Are yes. you, are you yeah. throwing the, throw the or in there? And I wouldn't be surprised if they do something like that on the on the depth chart we see. In a couple oh, of absolutely, I would agree with that. You know, that's probably what we'll see is some kind of an or situation, and I won't be surprised, you know, to go back a couple of positions if we see Justin Herbert, and then below him is Taylor Alley or. This is, your, this is the question: How many ors are we going to see on the, the roster? The over under? It's going to be it's going to be a high number because the receiver you could probably have seven ors on there yeah. if you wanted to. The over under would be an interesting <laughs> discussion. You know, first thought would probably be eight or nine, but I don't I don't know if that's going to be enough. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, well, we have a couple questions here on Facebook Live. Sure, to take a couple here. Um, Jeff Conklin asks, "Who is your biggest surprise?" Um, well, we've kind of already touched on it a McNeil little was, bit. McNeil was I, I one think of them. McNeil's a really good answer. I think Austin Faleo is another answer that's really yeah. good because, you know, we, we heard rumblings over the summer that he was a guy that, that had a lot of upside, but I, I don't know if we expected him to kind of put himself in contention to maybe even push for a starting spot at some point this season as a true freshman, which it seems like he's done. You know, there, there have been guys that we've spoken with that have that have said that he's really surprised them. I know people don't pay attention to the star rankings, or at least they say they don't, but he wasn't a guy similar to McNeil that came in with a ton of fanfare. He was... You know, kind of a middling three-star recruit, and it, right. he's a guy that's come in ready to play, and, and will I think take a lot of snaps this year, and probably be an instant impact guy. I would think you know McNeil's obviously one of them. You're correct again, and Austin Fialo being another guy along the defensive line that's been a surprise. But I, I think you can also look at some guys that are currently on the roster right. uh, as surprises. I, I'm a little bit surprised that Kawalana Apulu, a, a walk, a former walk-on. Great story. He's now been put on scholarship. Yeah. Junior linebacker is kind of looking like the inside linebacker to start next to uh, Troy Dye. You know, we we've seen it, Jimmy Swain at that position before. We've seen AJ Hoskins at the position before, but neither guy could really solidify their spot with the ones at inside next to, to next to Troy Dye. And Lana Ipilu is a guy. I think no one on that covers Oregon or no one that's watched Oregon play a couple games or then the coaching staff would, would say, you know, he knows what he's doing. He is a guy that is dead set in knowing the defense, knowing where to be. It's just been a physical limitation because he's five foot eleven and an ounce over two hundred pounds. Yeah. Yet here he is still making plays, now being on scholarship because he's he's talented enough to, to warrant that attribute to his, his skill level. Right. And now I think I think he's going to start at inside linebacker, and I think that's going to be a big surprise. I I, I think um, Brendan Schooler being moved over to to offense is, you know, if you want to pull back the layers a little bit of surprises, I think Nick Pickett, and you've got Brady Breeze, and you've got Khalil Oliver and Tyree Robinson. I think Ty Griffin's a good name. Yeah, yeah, Ty Griffin. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys on this roster that have. Really elevated their games a little bit that have that have allowed Oregon to do other things, which could be equally as as surprising opposed to just true freshmen. Right. Other questions? Yeah, sure. We'll take another one. Uh, which couple of games is Oregon trying to get recruits to come for their official visits, and what recruiting positions is Oregon full at in the 2018 class? 
Good question. And actually, we're going to have an update of sorts on this right. uh, coming up this week. It's not going to be in the early part of the it's season. It's not. Don't be surprised if this, you know, the visitor groups for Southern Utah and Nebraska and then games like California and Washington State, uh, don't be surprised if those have, you know, mainly guys that are in, in the state of Oregon. So that's commits like Braden and Lindsey and, and Dawson Jalimo and MG, MJ Cunningham, uh, 2019 guys like Willie Johnson Jr., uh, not Willie Johnson, uh, Michael Johnson Jr., Pat Herbert. The Sheldon crew, yeah. Yeah, the Sheldon crew. Don't be surprised maybe if Trey Harrison comes down a couple times, Chase Cota from South Medford comes up a little bit, Talanoa Hafunga. Um, don't be surprised if, if that's basically kind of the, the basics, you know, the, the genesis of, of this, of this group because their, Oregon's got this interesting strategy where they're gonna have a lot of their official visits Later in the in the season, uh, or even after the season is over, so it, it's it's a new strategy. I, we've covered Oregon for a while. We, yeah. You and I both have experience uh, over five years covering recruiting. I, I've covered recruiting for nine. This is my ninth year now. Um, never have I seen an Oregon football team say we're going to use our big weekend at the end of the year. It's always been one of the first yeah. three or four games in September because of the weather. And Oregon's, you know, the staff is going the complete opposite. Yeah, and there, 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 it does sound like more and more there's going to be a, a commitment recruit visit weekend postseason. Uh, we'll have more updates on kind of who will be there and what we've learned. But we've kind of touched base with a number of kids on when they're thinking about setting officials. And it, it does sound like it'll be – it won't be like 22 guys here for Nebraska or right. something like that. And there's different. just different strategies altogether too in that you've got – Two signing days now, where there's going to be a signing day in end of December or middle of December, and then guys can sign again February the, the first Wednesday right. of February. So there's a whole new strategy of when do you take official visits? Do you want to try and get everyone to sign early, or do you want to try and get guys you know coming you know throughout the entire year? What you know what have you? Yeah, de- definitely an interesting story for recruiting and, and when guys will take official visits to the, to the University of Oregon. But I do think there's going to be a lot of unofficial visitors sure. that, that come out on their own way. And, you know, or, Oregon's pr- proven, the staff has proven tremendously that they can get people to pay their own way to, to come to Oregon for unofficial visits. Yeah. Well, you saw uh, that you saw that for SNL and Utah in the spring game. Guys coming from the southeast all the way across right. the country to check it out, and a lot of them end up committing. And so I, I won't be surprised if we see a lot of unofficial visitors, uh, probably underclassmen, some 2018 kids that are yeah. from the West Coast uh, primarily. Um, shifting back to the depth chart. We didn't touch on running back yet, by the way. You want to do that? Oh, right. Running back, I mean, it's pretty. I think it's pretty self-explanatory here. Royce Freeman is, is going to be the starter. No one's going to unseat him. Um, I, I think maybe there was a little bit of intrigue going into fall camp of who the number two would be between Tony Brooks James, Kanaiben Wall, and Todd Griffin. I don't think any of the true freshmen are going to become the number two running back on this team. Um, but that's kind of basically been solidified as well. With you know, I think to me it's pretty clear. Tony Brooks James is you know, this team's second best running back, and 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 quite honestly. He could probably start for eight or nine teams in the Pac-12 if it wasn't for Royce Freeman. He, he got starters minutes at times last year with Freeman banged up, and he, he played very, very well. I mean, you look at his stats last year, he was pretty tremendous. So, obviously, if something were to happen to Royce Freeman, you, you feel like you've got a second back there, and then you go down the line, can I bang? Well, has been really good in the past, yes. and just Taj Griffin. I mean, running back depth is not an issue. No. Wide receiver depth might be an issue, but running back depth is not an issue, and it's why they're talking about possibly playing three running backs at a time. Yeah, and I, I think that's also going to force one of the true freshmen, if not two, to play. Uh, the more I see C.J. Burdell, I think he's going to play this year as a true Agreed. freshman. I think he's, yeah, of the three, he seems to be the furthest along. And I, I think there's, you know, there's going to be games, whether that's Southern Oregon blowing out Southern Utah, whether that's Oregon blowing out Colorado, uh, possibly blowing out a team like Arizona at home, blowing out a possibly a team like Oregon State at home, right. or, or quite frankly, games like at Washington, at use at Stanford, where Oregon themselves could, could get away. could yeah. get blown out. You're going to need a back in the fourth quarter that's not Kenyon Wad, Tony Brooks, James, or Royce Freeman to kind of kill kill the clock, run out the game. I think Fordell is going to be that guy that does that. Uh, shifting to the offensive line, this one I think is another one where it's. It's pretty set in stone who starts. Um, it looks like Tyrell Crosby's kind of earned 
and worked his way back to health and then has earned the right to start at left tackle again for the Ducks. Uh, Next to him is at left guard. It looks like it's uh, Jake Pistarczyk. And then at right guard, it's Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton. And then at center, it's going to be Jake Hansen. Um, I think the only question is Pistarczyk at left guard. Um, Does does some other guy kind of work his way in? Do they maybe at the very last second decide, hey, let's put Brady Alio, who started most of the season last year at left tackle, back there and shift Crosby in a spot to left guard? Or do they just roll with Pistarczyk? I mean, before the season, I brought that up. I thought that made a lot of sense because you've got a ton of tackle depth, and I think Crosby down the line probably translates more as as a guard than as a tackle, to be honest, at the next level. So... It doesn't appear they've gone that route at all so far. We haven't seen Aiello really run with the first team. It's been pretty much Tyrell Crosby the whole the whole camp, and and so it looks like they're going to go that way. I, I agree. The Pasarczyk's probably the the one guy that you could say maybe you'd find a replacement. But the issue is that who's who's the competition? Is it Evan Bowler or, or do you, I mean, can Brady Aiello or George Moore move in and, and play right. guard? I don't think their body types or their skill sets like fit there. So it's basically Pasarczyk and Evan Bowler. Bowler's a guy that I've really been surprised hasn't. Been more of a contributor at Oregon. He yeah, just, he's actually was the he's highest four-star recruit. I just did the recruiting rankings with the players, and I was, he was, he's the only four-star prep recruit at offensive line on the whole roster. Really, according to twenty-four-seven composite. So that was just a minor tangent there. But he, he's, a, <laughs> he's a guy that obviously has some talent. Maybe he fits in there. But uh, it does seem like that's kind of what it's looking like right now. I'd, I'd be surprised if they kind of deviated from that. At least the way that they've practiced in fall camp. And then behind that group is this is where it, it could get. All over the place. I right. think the strongest position is left tackle because you got Brady Alio there. Um, I think on, on the right side of the line, uh, you, you've got Bathke and Capra. Um, Bath, you know, right, uh, Bathke's a, true, a redshirt freshman at, at tackle, and then you've got um, Capra at left at right guard. Center is probably going to be Doug Brenner. The, the senior center. Yeah. And then the left guard position is... is that's probably Evan Bowler. I, that, I think that's going to be Evan Bowler. But the question then becomes, you know, does Oregon decide to maybe put Brenner at guard? Well, or Forsyth, Alex Forsyth, the guy right. that's, that's making some noise. Or does, you know, is, is Doug Brenner, you know, the backup center and also the backup left guard, right guard, because he can play both positions. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of guys. I think this is the group where, you know, there's going to be two names at each position group, but I think one of those guys in the second team is going to be able to play multiple spots and be able to fill in multiple areas. And ironically enough, I I think you would agree with me. I don't think George Moore is going to make the 2D for the, for the offensive line. No, right now I don't. And that's just coming from people we've spoken with. It sounds like he's a guy with tremendous physical tools, needs a little bit of work in terms of rounding into form. And it's not overly surprising given his right. background. He's not a guy that's played a ton of football. He has. I mean, if you if you have the guys walk in, you'll see this at Fan Day, if, if, for those of you who will go. He's the he may be the most NFL ready looking player. Oh, without player. a doubt, definitely on the offensive line, and one of those on the team. I mean, he he looks like an NFL left tackle, I and mean, he really does. So it's a matter of you know Mario Cristobal, you know, has been made out to be a tremendous offensive line coach. I know he is a tremendous offensive line coach. He's probably the guy you want working with George Moore. If he can get the talent out of George over the next couple of years here, you're going to have a really really good college tackle and, and a guy that could potentially come in and, and get drafted. I think pretty high. Shifting to the defensive line, and this is one I think is going to be drastically different in three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, whenever... Whenever a certain foot heals. Yeah, whenever Scott Pagano gets healthy and is back in action for Oregon, um, he will instantly become a defensive lineman that starts for the Ducks. Um, I think there's also another guy that we're potentially waiting on to see if he if he decides to commit to Oregon. That's Malik Young, uh, another Juco defensive lineman that... Had offers from Alabama, Florida, and, and signed with Missouri, but couldn't get into school um, because of some SEC transfer rules that they've got. And it sounds like he's at least really close to giving Oregon a verbal commitment, and he'll be eligible to play in 2017. How much? How does that that guy impact? Right. Uh, you know, what's a fair expectation for a, a guy like Malik Young, who's missed basically all of fall camp, if he comes here? Watching his film, and I, we did a film review of it's up on the site. I think. What's, what's, what he fits perfectly with what Oregon has on the roster. Obviously, Jordan Scott has drawn a lot of praise, and I think he's probably the 
nose tackle on first and second down a, a lot of the time. But what Young provides is a, is a pass rusher up the middle at nose tackle, if, if that's where they decide to plan. Right. He's extremely explosive. He's low to the ground. Uh, he has that nice upfield rush. So I think if if they do if he does end up at Oregon, he fits in nicely as a as a two deep you know kind of third down nose tackle. Maybe he ends up being better than that, and he pushes Jordan Scott, and Jordan Scott's not in the starting lineup. Who knows? Right. But he definitely you know, there's two pieces here that could that are big veteran players that could really kind of ju- you know mess up this this two deep that we've kind of been following all, all fall. But going into into the season, I think Henry Mondu at one defensive end spot yeah. is, is the safe bet. Yeah. I think Jordan Scott. Is going to be the nose tackle for Oregon in 2017. Sure, yep. And then I think we're going to either see Austin Fialu start or Jalen Jelks start along the defensive, at the other defensive end spot, um, for Oregon for 2017 week one against Southern Utah. And then behind them is, is a big mystery. You've got a senior like Elijah George, uh, at one of the defensive end spots. And then you've got sophomores and Gary Baker and Drayton Kralberg. Yep. I think Gary Baker is the backup nose tackle yep. currently. Mm-hmm. And then Drayton Kralberg could be a defensive end on off the edge for Oregon. Yeah, I, I probably would, would lean Jelks based upon just the experience factor. But, you know, is he going to be able to play on first down? You know, is he good enough against the run to, to warrant a starting spot? Or is he a guy that's going to spell Mondu or Pagano, whoever ends up? You know, down the line, starting on, on you know passing downs. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how they play that out. Obviously, if you get a guy like Austin Fiala and he's able to start from day one, that's huge. That's huge. And I mean, I'm not sure how Oregon fans feel about it, but if you have two true freshman defensive line starters that could potentially be three or four year starters in the program, that 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 means you've done your job on the recruiting front. Um, we got a couple other questions sure. here from Facebook. Um, Jeff Conklin, where are we currently ranked? Actually, the eight people. Did that not just come out today? Yeah, AP Bowl came out today. Oregon is not ranked. First time since 2007 uh, the Ducks opened the season in the AP without being ranked. They they had enough votes to make the receiving uh, votes category, and, and they checked in at 33rd overall. I think the number was like 37 votes uh, that, that they received, or 21 votes. I, I can't quite honestly remember the, the exact number. 21 or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they're they're currently not ranked, and so this is the first time since 2007 in the AP rankings they haven't been ranked. They also aren't ranked in the coaches' poll as well. I think they're 34th most votes there. Which so is, I, I mean, I, I think that's you know pretty fair um, considering they're four and eight. They've got a lot of questions on defense, new coaching staff. You know, just outside the top 25. You know, they, look, they win their first two games. Then they go to Wyoming and win that one. They're going to be ranked inside the top 22. Yeah. Uh, if you're talking recruiting rankings. Actually, he's, he's not clarified. He did mean recruiting rankings. Uh, recruiting rankings, Oregon is fifth in the country, first in the Pac-12. Uh, they're the only school on the West Coast in, in the top 10. Uh, UCLA is next at, at 13th in the country, um, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. So, you know, there's one thing that's not like the others, and then the 24/7 Sports Composite Top 10, and that, that's Oregon uh, being fifth in the country and not a West Coast school. And you know, it's interesting to watch because you've got Oregon at where they have 22 verbal commitments, and then UCLA also has 22, and then out west, the other two big schools that are doing pretty well in recruiting uh, the last few years is Washington at 18th. And then the big dog, USC, mm-hmm. at 19th. Washington only has 13 verbal commitments. USC only has 11. Um, both those schools are going to go drastically up as they start filling out their classes uh, for the 2018 recruiting class. It's actually a good question. You're probably transferring to transition over to linebacker. But uh, Cliff Garner asked, do you think we see Winston getting minutes this year? And he's a guy that has, it seems to have kind of maybe pull the starting spot here at that duck linebacker position depending on how often that gets played but I think I do think he's a guy that will see minutes and depending upon who kind of wins the the job there between he and Fotiliatsu he could play a lot yeah I I think Winston and Fotiliatsu are going to play equal minutes they're just going to play you know a lot and they're going to play on special teams you know they're going to split that I think they're going to split that job and I don't think there's you know, going to be, yeah, one guy is technically going to be a starter, one guy isn't, but I really don't think there's going to be too much of a, you know, difference between the two guys and the amount of playing time uh, they see between special teams and playing that duck position. 
uh, and I think it also kind of depends upon what team that Oregon is playing in that week. You know, if it's Washington State, I don't think Winston's going to play, you know, all that much because he's not as quick and as agile as a guy like Fotu is. Well, I don't think Fotu is very good in pass coverage. He's a more he's, – he's faster than Winston. He is. Um, but when they play teams against Stanford or when they play against Washington or when they play against UCLA and, you know, these teams are going to ground and pound it, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of Winston because he's got the bigger frame, he's the bigger body, yeah. uh, and he can take on bigger blockers than opposed to Fotu. And that kind of goes right into the, the, the four linebackers that Oregon's going to start, two inside, two on the outside – I think Justin Hollins and Jonah Moy um, kind of have that position on lockdown. Um, the only change up could be uh, if Oregon decides to use the duck, and then you know I think Jonah Moy comes off the field, and Oregon then puts in either Winston or uh, Fotu Liatu at that duck position. Um, but understanding of you know let's just assume the duck isn't you know their base defense. It's not from what I've been told. Um, Outside, I've got Justin Hollins, a junior, a guy who's been a terror in fall camp, uh, especially in the scrimmage that they had earlier this this week, uh, this summer. He had four sacks in one half, um, and, and he's a guy that Jim Levitt and Woody and uh, Taggart have all praised uh, as a key piece for this 2017 defense. And if, if you remember right, he was a four-star recruit out of out of the Dallas area in 2015 or 14, 14. 14. Because he played in that, he played as a true freshman in the year Oregon went to the championship game. You know, this is a high-profile recruit. All the Texas schools wanted him. A lot of SEC schools wanted him. He came west instead. So, you know, he's a talented kid. Uh, he's just had some injuries. He's had to battle through. Um, he came on strong last year. I think he's going to be kind of the breakout star of this defense. And then inside, you've got the superstar in Troy Dye. But then outside of that, who you have? I think Lana Apelou is going to eventually win that starting job. At inside next to next to Troy Dye, and then you've got two seniors behind him, and uh, AJ Hoskins and Jimmy Swain inside behind Moy and behind Hollins. I, I think it's safe to say Bryson Young and Gus Cumberlander are the, are the two guys that are probably going to be the backups there. I, I, I kind of agree across the board that I think the, the one thing that if Jimmy Swain gets healthy and is, gets his mind right and is able to focus and, and kind of develop into the players, this is his final year at Oregon. He's a guy that came with you know four, high four star recruit out of Kansas. Um, if he's a guy that's able to kind of round into form, he has tremendous, I think, upside. We've been saying that for a long time. But if he reaches that, he's a guy that I, I could definitely see starting at the inside. And I think if you're an Oregon fan, you wouldn't mind that because that's a much bigger backcourt than Kalana. Um, you know, Kalana is a much, much smaller guy. You know, obviously, he if he had Jimmy Swain's body, he'd probably be a first-team All-American caliber guy. But right. he, he doesn't. And he's a little undersized. And you go up against a team like Stanford, and can you really even play him out there against you know an offensive line that's just going to absolutely get to the second level in Mali. Uh Shifting over to cornerback, um, I think this is another position where it's kind of changed going from spring and then going from spring now into week four of fall camp. Uh, it's it, you know I think my depth chart would change a little bit. Um, Arion Springs is going to start at one spot at corner. Uh, Thomas Graham, a true freshman, is going to start at the other spot. And then I think Ugo Amadi is, if they play a nickel defense, he starts as well uh, in the nickel spot. And if they don't use nickel, he's going to be one of the backups behind Springs or, or Graham. And then I, I think Diamade Lenore is going to be the other backup cornerback for Oregon in 2017 as a true freshman. So they've got two true freshmen, I think, in the two deep. One starts, one comes off the bench. Corner, so wide receiver is really difficult to peg because there's just not a lot of experienced talent. Cornerback's difficult to peg because there's just so many guys that we think are, are pretty good football players. And yeah. Once again, I did that recruiting rankings thing, and, and looking at looking kind of back, cornerback is by far the place they've had the most talent. I think they have four out of their seven guys back there are four-star recruits. Two of them were borderline five-stars in Lenore and Springs, so a lot of talent back there. I do think Springs is pretty much cemented one spot. I think Ugo Amadi and Thomas Graham are still battling for the other spot, and Ty Griffin's a guy that he's been you know playing with the ones reportedly too, so... You've got, you've got like four guys that could start there. And, and again, Diamondo Lenore. I mean, there, there's probably five starting caliber corners on this team. How it figures out, I probably would lean with them going experience to start and, and with Springs and, and Amadi. But it, I could be totally off base. wouldn't be surprised if they went one of about eight different directions. Right. And, and taking us now to the final spot we're going to pick, or I guess we'll do special teams as well, kickers and, and punters. 
Um, long, long staffers don't long, forget Taylor long. Carew. <laughs> Shout out to Taylor Carew. Uh, at, at safety, it, it's Tyree Robinson at one spot. Khalil Oliver's been dinged up a little bit and through camp. Brady Brees has been dinged up a little bit through camp. So we saw yesterday. I think Jawan Williams has also been dinged up. Jawan Williams is also another guy, another guy that's been dinged up. And, you know, Sunday evening we got to see a little bit of the, the safety's work. And Mitchell McGraw was actually, you know, getting some first-team reps, which we saw quite a bit in spring we ball. Didn't. Haven't seen much this fall, though. But yeah, that's very true. When, when fall camp has started, though, we hadn't seen much of him working with the first team. But, you know, Sunday he started to work in there. So I think... That other safety spot is really up in the air. Um, ideally, I think Oregon would like to start either Khalil Oliver or Brady Breeze. And I think if you gave Oregon's coaches truth serum, they would really love it. Just not because they don't like Khalil Oliver, but you're building a program and you're trying to rebuild the duck defense. And it, and it doesn't matter what year it is. If you've got a guy that's a junior or a senior and then you've got a guy that's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, and they are neck and neck in the competition battle, you want the younger guy to win because you, you'll have one, two, or three more years with that guy as a starter and the experience he has opposed to the the upperclassmen. So I, I think if you gave true serum, because I think Khalil, I think Khalil Oliver and Brady Breeze are really close. Mm-hmm. I think if you gave the staff true serum, they probably would want to see Breeze Win that job just because then they they could they have him come back in 2018 as a sophomore, 2019 as a junior, and in 2020 as a senior, and basically be a four-year starter at that position, which is just unbelievably valuable from an experience standpoint. Don't get me wrong, Khalil Oliver is a very talented player, and they yeah. wouldn't you know if he won the job, it wouldn't be a bad thing at all. Well, one thing with Oliver, if say he loses the job and, and he wants to play, he could play duck linebacker. I mean, that's something he did in the spring. And, and obviously, this is totally hypothetical. We don't know this. Right. this is even something they're discussing, but it, it's a possibility because it's something he has done. Uh, I agree. I think Tyree Robinson would be a pretty big surprise if he's not one of their starting safeties this year. Um, I think Brady Breeze, I, I agree. I think everything I've seen leads me to think he, he's a guy that could be a, kind of a star in the making this year. Yeah, you know, obviously, Brennan Schooler surprised a lot last year by leading the team in interceptions, third in tackles, starting 10 games. I, I think Breeze is a guy that you could look back and say, look at that. You know, there's a guy that, that you have down the line who's we've talked to really people. talented. And yeah, he's, we've talked to people, and he's, he's a guy that they like a lot. Yeah, we've talked to people said in the spring and in the summer and even back to second half of last season that if Brady Breeze hadn't hurt his shoulder in fall camp, which basically limited him uh, the first couple of weeks of the season. If he didn't have that major injury, he probably would have played as a true freshman last season for Oregon in 2016. And who knows if Schooler had the game, had the year he would have had if, if Brady Breeze right. would have played. It's total hypothetical, but you know there was talk of Brady Breeze being should have been played in 2016 opposed to redshirting. Uh, but I think if, if you're really tight, you're probably happy about that as well. Just a couple uh, Facebook questions. They're both kind of uh, logistics questions. Gary Minnick asks, any news on Bruce Judson? That one is just another one where he just hasn't gotten into school yet. And I, I think it's probably not going to happen. You know, he, he has running out. Yeah, he hasn't gotten he, – he has to pass some classes or class uh, at the high school level. Needs to get cleared by the NCAA. Needs to get admitted to the U of O. All that has to happen in about a month now because you know the school is about to start end of September, yeah. um, and then on top of that, you know how much can he help you in 2017 when he joins the team so late uh, when he hasn't had any of these classes you know, passed yet? Uh, I think this is going to be the first guy in a long time which just doesn't get into school, and it's going to be interesting to see if Oregon decides try and get in, in winter term, go to you know go to JUCO for for a term. Down in Florida, and you know, get your classes passed so you can transfer over winter term. Do they bring him on as a you know late enrollee for 2018? Does the kid basically gray shirt, um, or do they just split ties altogether? They you know, could. We, we we don't know. We could. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say Bruce is probably not going to get into into school in time for the start of the season. Next question from Justin Kuhn is Rex Manu hurt? Yeah, Manu is. Not on the roster for 2017 because of the injury he suffered. Uh, I think it was a Utah game uh, where, where he got hurt last year, very late in the year, really bad knee injury. Um, and he's quite honest. He's he's trying to decide if he can get himself back into health where he can play 
2018 or if he needs to medically retire. Um, it was that bad of a knee injury uh, Rex Manu suffered, and I've heard his rehab has been very difficult. He's had a, a couple setbacks as well. So, yeah, he's not on the roster, and he, he's not even listed on GoDucks.com. It's, that's how bad this injury is where he's literally taking the year off from football. Short answer is no, he's not. He will not be playing this year. Um, and then a question from LaDonna Young. Will Bryson Young see any playing time besides special teams? I think we, we talked about it a bit earlier. Maybe this question was asked before we, we talked about it. We, we, we think he's going to be in the two deep there as an outside linebacker. A guy that you know, played a little bit of defensive end last year. He and Gus Kemblander, I believe, both played defensive end. Now transitioning right. to play outside a little bit linebacker. be interesting to see how he does out there. I mean, he's he is definitely, just like George Moore, one of Oregon's oh, yeah. best-looking, from a physical standpoint, football players on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he physically looks like a freak. Uh, you know, he's a guy on this team that has all this, has all the physical tools to be very, very good. Now it's can he can he get the mind right? Can he play consistently? Uh, he's to the position too. Yeah, new position as well. I think he's going to have to play. He's going to have to have some kind of role. But I think he's he's going to be a guy. I think is going to have one of the best improvements from this new staff, and especially working with Raymond Woody and and Jim Levitt. Uh, the defensive coordinator, you know, he's going to be a guy where second half of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes on and, you know, maybe doesn't start all year, but it, it, second half of the year becomes one of those reliable guys off the bench in, in, in 2017 and can, can kind of parlay that into 2018 where he might be in contention to start just because... Jonah Moy won't be there. Right. And because of, you know, the, the teaching he's going to get and the player development he's going to get from this coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think... He has upside as a pass rusher that Oregon doesn't really have on this roster, with the exception of we talked about Justin Hollins and Jalen Jokes. I think those are probably your two bread and butter pass rush guys. I think Young probably is the third guy if you were just to go down the list and say who the probably the most explosive pass rusher is. So I, I do expect him to play. It'll be interesting to see what kind of role it is. Once again, how, how much is that duck linebacker used? Is that takeaway snaps from a guy like him? Right. Because I know that's a position that they want to use to rush rush the passer a lot as well. Because one thing that Fotu told me last week is that he, he's really excited to get after the passer. Shifting to uh, the kicking kicking specialist here, I think the returners, kickoff return, I think those are going to be veterans. I think we're going to see like Tony Brooks James and probably Charles Nelson uh, back there fielding kickoffs. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Tosh Griffin, once he's cleared for health, and then a guy like Darian McNeil, um, Jalon Red, Darian Felix, you know, one of those guys is kind of the backup to either, you know, both spots. Uh, on a kickoff return, punt return. I think Darian McNeil is going to eventually win that job. I think Nelson may take it on early on in the year, but McNeil, once he's shown that he can handle the position, will win that job, I think. Um, kicker, pretty self-explanatory. I think it's Aiden Schneider. I think Aiden Schneider is also going to be the, the guy for kickoffs. He'll handle kickoff duty. He'll handle... Field goals, he'll also handle PATs. Uh, the, the one job that's up in the air is punter. Uh, Blake Maimone and, and then Adam Stack. Um, and they've kind of gone back and forth uh, throughout fall camp. Um, and I, I think with punter, that's probably a spot where you just pick the guy who's most experienced, unless you don't have an option, just to start the year. And I think that's going to be Maimone. Well, one thing that Raymond Woody said about Punter in that battle, he said it's neck and neck first off. But he, he did say that they're looking for somebody who has great hang time and somebody that has, you know, is, is, with an ability to really directionally punt well. Right. Adam Stack is a guy that has been brought up as a guy who can kick with both feet, left and right. I think that poses potentially tremendous benefits to this team if he's a guy that can come out here and he also rugby punts. So he's provided some versatility. I'd probably lean that, lean that way. Although we haven't watched every punt rep, and it's possible that Blake Maimone has just been booting the ball out. What we've seen, it looks pretty even. I think Maimone maybe looks like he does have a little better hang time, a little better distance. But I think eventually Adam Stack feels like a guy that's going to play a lot. Yeah, and I think you know Adam Stack was signed as a U.S. Army All-American place kicker that could also punt. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he plays, too, as a true freshman um, and they just find ways to here and there get him, you know, give him an extra PAT or two a little bit, uh, get him get him ready for next year to replace Schneider uh, in 2018. You know, we'll see. It's, it's kind of difficult to 
to justify that to play as a true freshman. But you know, it seems like the staff is way more open to, to place kicking and field goals than the previous staff, which you know could lean to them wanting to give a guy some, some kind of experience for 2018. Let's let's take two more questions and then kind of wrap it yeah. up here. Uh, Jeff Conklin asks, or says, "I'm at over under nine wins. What say you?" Um, I think nine might be pushing it in my mind. I think we've kind of established eight feels sort of like a realistic number for this team. To, you know, on the on the better side, you know, obviously if things line up and fall into place. I think they could win five games if things just come off the rails. And if Justin Herbert gets hurt, quite frankly, they could win less than that. Yeah. But I I, I think nine might be pushing it. You know, um, it, I think it's going to be difficult to to beat. Washington and Stanford on the road. I think UCLA on the road is potentially dangerous. I think Utah is tough. I just think it, it, it's hard to expect them to to win. There's a couple of these games that kind of feel like they're coin flips and go. Right. Like Washington State at home is another one. Right. And I, I I kind of look at it and think it seems unlikely that this team's able to win nine games. But I, I guess I wouldn't rule it out. But I, I think eight feels to me kind of like the cap. I feel like there's three games that are. It's funny. There's a Seinfeld episode where there's that's a win, that's a win, that's yeah. a loss. I feel like there's three games that fit that description for Oregon that are that you can pencil in right now as wins, and that's week one against Southern Utah, and then uh, week five against California at home, and then the last, uh, the second to last game of the year at home against Arizona. I think those three games, you know, as long as Justin Herbert doesn't get hurt, and even with Justin Herbert. They probably win two, if not all three of those football games, uh, despite who's at quarterback for right. Oregon in 2017. I think it's safe to say that the Stanford game is probably an automatic loss right now on paper before we see anything. I think the Washington game is safe to say as that's another one that's probably going to be an automatic loss on paper. Um, that That's five games. There's seven more. I think those seven games are all coin flips. I think you can make a case Oregon should should be able to handle Nebraska, but I think you can also make a case. Hey, this is a Power Five team coming in. They they won they went to a bowl game last year. They've been to you know two bowl games two years in a row. Mike Riley seems to have them trending up a little bit. Yeah, you know I can see them losing that game. You go to Wyoming road game, first road game of the Willie Taggart era, high altitude night game for playing at a group of five school. You know that place is going to be jacked up to play a program like Oregon. And, oh, by the way, they've got the guy that some consider the number one quarterback prospect for 2018. That's a game I could easily see them blow out. I could see them easily lose. Washington State, you know, Luke Falk in that passing attack, while they, you know, while that game last year was at home for the Cougars, is now here in Eugene. They won last time right. uh, they played at Austin Stadium. I could easily see that one go uh, Oregon or Oregon State's way, or Oregon or Washington State's way. UCLA, this is a toss-up game. I, I would probably lean, you know, Oregon would win that one, but it's not going to be that by that much. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Bruins win. Same thing with Utah. You know, it would be like a 55-45 yeah. type deal or, you know, 42, you know, 48-53 or something of that nature. Right. My math's not even right there. Four, 52. 52. Yeah. 101%. Oregon State, you know, the Beavers roll, you know, rolled right over Oregon last year in the Civil War. You know, is that home now for Oregon though? Does that change things? So I think, you know, there's three automatic wins, there's two automatic losses on paper going into this season. The other seven, Oregon could win all seven and, and finish the year ten and two. Best case, perfect scenario for Oregon. Or they could lose five, six, seven of those games and finish kind of right where they were last year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I, I, that's right. I think the eight probably the max to me, and I think probably four is the minimum right. in terms of wins. And then and last question we'll take today from Jonathan Charles. What game do you think Oregon gets an upset from? On the farm or UW or another game you guys think Oregon gets an upset from? If I had to pick between the UW or Stanford, I'd pick Stanford. I think Oregon is better matched to win that one. Um, it's not. It's. I mean, some people consider that game a rivalry game, but look, Palo Alto is not a hostile place to play. Uh, I've been there. It, it. You know, in '15, there were you know the Oregon fans that were there were just as loud as you know the 30,000 Stanford fans that were there. Um, it's. It's. You know, Stanford's got some of their own issues as well in 2017, in particular the loss of Solomon at 
nose tackle for the, for the Cardinal on defense, a first-round draft pick who went to the 49ers, and then also Christian McCaffrey. We all know about Christian McCaffrey and what he did at Stanford. So if I had to pick between those two, it would be Stanford. Um, I think if you want to call it an upset, Washington State, I think they're going to win that game. And I think if you want to call it an upset at UCLA, I think they're going to win that game on the road as well. I, I, I find it hard to believe that they'll be – I might look like the Facebook Live crash. So <laughs> thanks, guys, for taking the questions. But uh, I, I have a hard time believing Washington or Stanford are beaten by Oregon this year. Both yes. on the road, very good teams, probably both figure to be in that, I don't know, 10 to 15 range all season or most of the season if they if they succeed like we think they will. It, I would say that UCLA, that's a game that looks like it could be an upset. Um, it would be interesting to see how, what the lines look like for some of these, but I, I would say Washington State at home, I think it's going to be a tough game. I really do. I, I, I think to expect Oregon's defense to slow that passing attack down, I know we think their secondary is really good. I think that's going to be tough. And well, that's going to be a game Oregon wins because Washington State doesn't get the ball for enough. Could be, and, and and that could be where we see Oregon just pounding the rock, and they eat up time o'clock, and they have the ball for forty five minutes. Of the right, game. and then if that's the best case scenario, which right. is bizarre world for Oregon football in the last ten years. Right, yeah, they maybe yeah, we hear them go really really fast. Maybe this is the year they go really slow. But uh, I, I think at UCLA, and again, what's the line going to be? Is even technically going to be an upset? But I think that could be a marquee road win for them pretty easily. That's going to do it for us here on the uh, Duck Territory Podcast. Make sure to go to Oregon.247sports.com for all your Oregon football news, uh, fall camp coverage, season coverage. Uh, we've just started booking some of our away games. We're going to be uh, – we're, we're still working on the Wyoming one, but we're potentially – you know, we're already booked for the Arizona State game. We're already booked for the Stanford game. We're already booked for the UCLA game. Uh, we're driving up for the Washington game. Uh, so we'll be at – Pretty much every single home football game for 2017. We'll be at every home game for 2017. Right. Uh, we'll be at pretty much every road game for 2017. And if Oregon goes to a bowl game, we'll be there as well. Uh, expansive coverage from from Oregon football from us. Uh, not only from just us two. You know, we've got Carly on the beat. Uh, she's doing videos. Uh, that they're great pieces for the site as well. Um, and then we've also got Josh Phillips who's providing photography uh, and great work. So we've got photos, we've got video, we've got analysis, we've got interviews. You know, everything you would need as a Duck fan is on uh, Oregon's, uh, the 24-7 site, duckterritory.com, oregon.247sports.com. If you're not on there, go ahead and check it out. We've got tons of free content as well as VIP information as well. Uh, We're working on previewing this. uh, Since we're getting this up Monday night, Tuesday we're going to have uh, our war room, which will have some recruiting information, then we've got or the inside read, which will have yep. some recruiting information, and then on Fridays our war room comes out every Friday, insider on the team. So lots, lots of VIP information, lots of team coverage. Uh, make sure to go to Oregon.247Sports.com for all your Oregon football needs. And uh, Eric, we'll do this podcast again next week, which will kick off game game, game week yep. for 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 us. Uh, this podcast went a little long, but. Remember, we we take questions while we record it. Um, you can go to facebook.com slash Oregon247. Like the page and you'll get notifications whenever we go live. And you can hop on in uh, to get your questions asked and answered on this podcast. Until next week, we'll talk to you guys soon.